Hello again and welcome back to another episode of The Discourse. I am your host and today I'm being joined by my panel of charmed ones. Say hello, fellas. What's up? Yo. Okay, you know what, Dare? I don't appreciate you being the, uh, the the missing sister here. What? Do you want to be Prue? Do you want to be the Shannon Doherty of the of the discourse? Nigga, what? Exactly. <laughs> Is that the one that got replaced or did the replacement? Anyway, she's the one who got replaced. Yeah, Richard's gonna have to be the Piper, I guess. I can be a flighty and forgetful. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. As you can see, we're glad to be here. We're glad to be talking to you again from our many vantage points around the United States of America, some of which are on fire, some of which are not on fire, but all of which are ravaged by the plague. Um, Honestly, we have just so much to talk about. Let's just jump right into it, guys. We actually haven't had a chance to talk since the Cuomo news dropped, or rather, the Cuomo allegations, it seemed like forever ago they first came up. Um, so we talked about it then and the news kind of died down while this investigation was going on. And a few weeks ago, the findings of this investigation, I think attorney general Letitia James, I believe she was one who was presenting the findings, uh, that essentially Andrew Cuomo was being uh, formally accused now of groping. I think it was like, you know, a dozen or so, uh, women who worked for him, as well as sexual harassment of women who did not work for him. Uh, Including a, a woman who was on his police protection detail, a state trooper, repeatedly. All of which, you know, he came out uh, vehemently denied. He presented his binders full of pictures of people hugging. Oh my God, that was hysterical. And that's so sad to say, but it was hysterical because he just kept putting out pictures of Bill Clinton, of Joe Biden, of Donald Trump. And it's like, yeah, these these are also people who have committed these types of crimes, asshole. It seems sketchy that he just had this folder of photos of other people hugging, other politicians hugging women. Like a creep hall of fame or something. Yeah. yeah, like he just had them like on file somewhere on his computer. I, I won't, you know, I won't hazard to guess what he was doing with them on his computer uh, before they were being used to exonerate him or <laughs> imply his innocence. But like the, you know, the sample that he picked, just notorious perverts, when frankly, you know, you could find a bunch of photos of, you know, men and women hugging platonically. Yeah, I mean, it, like Richard said, it was just a world-class Hall of Fame of perverts that he had taken photos of. And it's almost like he was saying, look, they do the same thing and they got away with it. Why are you being mean to me? Which, you know, is absolutely justifiably a justifiable question. I mean, t- the head of Time's Up was implicated as helping Cuomo run defense on some of the women that came to Time's Up to uh, lodge complaints and allegations against Cuomo. And she had to resign. And now the entire organization of Time's Up is in like real jeopardy right now because they don't know quite what to do. They've gone Twitter silent. They haven't had like a response. And keep in mind, this is the same organization that Tara Reid has said. I tried to go to them like months and months and months and months ago, and they kept saying no, 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 no. And now you had Anita Dunn representing Joe Biden and now has to resign because of her ties to this whole thing. It's really quite fucked up but you can see cuomo's point of view on like he brings out the binder full of creeps and says hey all these creeps still get to keep their office how come i have to go 
Well, I will say, you know, Time's Up organization was also criticized by a noted charmed alum, Rose McGowan, uh, who played Paige Matthews on uh, season four through eight of Charms, who replaced Prue. Uh, Yes. But that's neither here nor there. What the fuck? I'm so confused by that shit. How it's germane to the conversation. It's, it's germane not, to the conversation. It's not. Anyway. Random, ni- random 90s mom TV shows are not germane to any conversation we have on this fucking show. Anyways, a bunch of high up figures in nonprofits. The what the woman from the human rights campaign was also implicated yep. in his like defending him or like smearing uh, one of his accusers. Right. The logic of it is is well yeah but if you get rid of me you still have to deal with these other people as well right because ultimately that's the underlying logic that the lesser perverts the lesser evils of the democratic party use to silence those who are you know trying to seek some kind of accountability from them it's that well like yeah you know i might be a little italian when it comes to like personal space but at the end of the day, would you rather have me, Andrew Cuomo, the person who personally sexually harasses people, but sometimes sort of supports the right legislation, or people like Donald Trump, who are both the gropers and rapists, as well as politically and uh, legislatively going to support like anti-feminist goals? No, it's, I was just going to say, it's like Christine Pelosi when they were talking about Epstein. Some of your faves will be implicated. But even so, when you try to democratically hold them accountable, they always run to the right. Like, they always try and appeal to the right. Like, look at the Gavin Newsom recall. You know, the recall goes through, and the only, what the polling is showing is that the people who are left of center are really disappointed in Gavin Newsom, so they're just really not enthusiastic about it. So you could have a situation like you did with Schwarzenegger, where 10% of the popular vote gets you the governorship during a recall because that's how it works. The recall is, is someone unpopular enough to get 51% in support of the recall? If so, then here's a whole bunch of people who put their name on the list. Whoever gets first past the post is now governor. And so what happens is you've got this guy, Larry Elder, who is a right wing radio talk show host who could become the next governor with less than 10 percent of the vote in an election with less than 10 percent of people voting in it. And Gavin Newsom is out there breaking up homeless encampments and sending people to jail and becoming like trying to be, hey, hey, look, developers and real estate. I love you guys. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Meanwhile, the people that he should be advocating for the people he should be trying to get out to the polls in this instance are all really sick of the fact that he won't do a mask mandate that he won't do any of these um necessary like plague reducing cause uh plague reducing systems of of caution or or what's the word i'm looking for health health anything and he's not advocating them he's not saying to them so like at a moment where you have a a a a option of accountability at a moment where actually having some little form of accountability as fucked up as a california recall system is rather than appeal to his base and say you know what i'm going to do better these are my plans these are my steps this is how i'm going to make it okay for you guys he's running to the fucking right and andrew cuomo it's like oh okay well i'm just going to bring it rather than saying you look i'm never going to do this again i should step down he said i'm giving my two-week notice i'm appointing who i've got next in line who's been one of my disciples since fucking get and you guys are going to drop impeachment for me and here's a binder full of other creeps it's it's ridiculous we just have no accountability in this country whatsoever never have 
Well, I mean, that's the other issue with this big man definition of how, I mean, how corruption works or how problems, mm -hmm. it just allows for like somebody to symbolically step down, but for the rot that infects the entire system to continue. Because ultimately, you know, the truth behind the Cuomo situation is that he was a piece of shit before these allegations. And it, for people who have been following him and really engaged with what he was doing during the uh, COVID-19. Cut 200 million from Medicare. During the COVID-19 crisis when everyone was heralding him as the you know the second coming of christ you know people who had known that he was a scumbag before then were actually looking at what he was doing and were horrified yeah i mean th the fact of the matter that he wasn't impeached before this for literally covering up those numbers and killing grandparents is is testimony to how fucked up our system is he killed people, and he killed people because of gigantic campaign donations that were coming his way, and the indemnity clause that he worked out for his campaign donors that would indemnify those businesses for killing people was the one that Mitch McConnell tried to put in nationally. He used the New York one as a fucking – as a blueprint for what he tried to do nationally. And it's really hard for me to take seriously the idea that the people that have gone to parties and gone to events with him and worked around him for all these years, this is the first that they'd have never, that they've discovered that he was behaving like this, especially because as we saw even several months ago, that there was like, he was doing this at public events. So there, there was dozens, hundreds of people. So it was like, lots of people were seeing this. It was well known within his political circles, what, how he behaved and what he was doing. So that's one of the, and like, as you mentioned, is like beyond his behavior with women, his it was uh his abuse of women really uh his political record has <laughs> plenty of reasons both recently over the last year and then even going before that to have serious qualms with him but it just it, they wait until the the break there's a breaking point and then we're just supposed to believe they shouldn't be held responsible for all of the errors that in like errors in judgment that preceded it and it's just ridiculous right they were gonna they were gonna suspend the impeachment hearings because he gave a two-week notice and then the the public hue and cry was so big that they actually had to go through and now are signaling that they're actually going to do the impeachment which will mean that you know cuomo is robbed of his fucking pension like he should be man should be in jail not just for what he did with the the women, but for the open and blatant corruption that he's been running for years. Like what he's been doing with the IDC, the Independent Democratic Caucus, for years and years and years and years has been one of the most brutal things to go through New York. What he's been doing to the MTA, like where he's been purposely sabotaging the MTA in order probably to privatize it because that's where he's, his ideology is in line with, that's been criminal. And yet this is the point where we get to, like Richard was just saying, where oh, something happened, whatever the breaking point was, they decided that this was a bar, a bar too far. I have a question that I, that I want to pose to everybody else. It's a question I've been asking myself a lot. Not with just things like this, but like in general, right? Like you mentioned, oh, you know, there's no accountability accountability in the U.S., right? You look at what Gavin Newsom is doing in California. You look at how Dems, you know, as soon as there's a hint of trouble, they run to the right. I mean, the reality is, yeah, I don't think any of us are surprised by it. Um, I, I want the question I have is how long we could continue to be angry exclusively about it and talk talk about it right like amongst ourselves right and I, then i guess i'm including our listeners in that right though they don't get to participate in the actual conversation and that we can't respond to them but the question comes to me is when does that anger turn into some kind of tangible action like how do we move from being just angry what does our ability to organize using this information really look like 
Because it's it's hard, right? Like, Richard, you were saying that, you know, you can't believe that people didn't see it, right? But the reality is they don't. Like, we have to acknowledge that, I think, especially on the left. And by the left, I mean those of us that, you know, have been have read any kind of theory and, like, take the time and listen and talk and organize with other folks that feel the same way and not just this vague amorphous feeling that you think you have because you've already voted for Bernie Sanders in two primaries. I wanted to go back for a second just to what Richard had said about the um, the people not noticing. People don't notice because the propaganda is right. We notice because we we've we've taken a long time and we've thought about these things and we've asked questions and we've talked to people that you know i think are smarter than we are and know more about these you know the kinds of theory and the kinds of have different responses to the kind of questions that we end up raising and so i think that's great you know what i mean i think it's important that people do that but the reality is these people aren't they don't think to ask these questions we're told from you know the moment we get into any kind of education even really before that we're indoctrinated at home because our parents, our grandparents, our aunties, our uncles, our older siblings and cousins, everybody's indoctrinated from, you know, the moment you set foot in any kind of schooling, be that preschool, be that kindergarten, right? Like, no matter when you start school, the moment you get there, you're being told falsehoods. You're being told that this has to be the thing. Your parents are being told, you know, especially for those of us, right, that were in fucking elementary school on 9-11, you're being told by your parents, by your grandparents, by the news, by your teachers, by everybody that, you know, America is some righteous force doing good by doing imperialism in Afghanistan and invading Iraq and committing literal acts of terror and you know if we fuck around and do torture well oops it's not that bad because we were we, we meant to do it in a good way we didn't mean to torture somebody in a bad way and americans will eat that up because they want to believe that they're the good guys they want to believe in something right but the reality is america's is and has been the bad guys and the hard part about these conversations that i don't think we have enough is how do we get other people to ask these questions to be as angry as we are about it and to have the same qualms and see the things that we're trying to point out. How do we do that? You know, I've been thinking about that question as well. And I think I've come to the conclusion that part of that has to be about the environment in which, you know, that conversation is taking place because ultimately, like you said, and like Richard said, and like we've said many times on the show is that people are, you know, your everyday average people in America are born into a, fog of patriotism that occludes their fucking vision past the tip of their nose and so ultimately they're not going to understand what is going on or have any real curiosity until that problem you know hits the tip of their nose and unfortunately i think what we're seeing now with covid19 is that problem is not going away as rapidly as people were expecting and so we're coming to the point where people are no longer allowed to pretend as though the problem that is causing society to collapse is over there in the black communities or you know in uh, the middle east or in some you know godless country or whatever you know now the problems are of our society the lack of social security the lack of you know social safety systems the lack of public health or any kind of real infrastructure is becoming hyper visible to them and the traditional narratives that are used to sell why all of this stuff is okay or going to be fine are rapidly failing because they're not really able to just you know sufficiently cloud over like the amount of pain that people are going to be going through in a few weeks as schools continue to open 
you know, we were talking about how Andrew Cuomo was able to basically just paper over the deaths of hundreds of thousands of old people. And a lot of that has to do with the way capitalism values our elderly, which is not very much at all. And, you know, I have a, you know, personal theory that in the digital age where rate of information, the rate of information turnover is so much faster, it even more inherently uh, marginalizes the elderly by making their skills even less valued as people become less and less interested in traditional modes of thought, right? You know, as we do more, I guess, space travel via iPhone or whatever. I don't want to sound like a boomer, but, you know, it's all very high tech to me. I know Richard does VR, but that's not my thing. So you even saw a little bit of that with like in the corporate media where like the older people that weren't able to get their tech up in, during COVID were less likely to get the interviews than some of the younger people. So that ended up, you saw some of the new new wave of what's going to be the democratic establishment uh, yeah, geriatric millennials is what they call them right they're like <laughs> yeah. they're like you know uh, basically uh rory gilmore's uh continue continuing in in the stereotype dare trying to paint me as a 45 year old white woman uh rory gilmore's uh generation the 35 to 40 year old cohort but like yeah you know it was easy enough to pretend like old people's lives didn't matter um, in America, but like now that it's sort of, sort of like starting to infect kids, it's going to be harder for people to like, you know, I think justify to themselves how callous America is because, you know, all of this COVID-19 stuff, all the death that's continuing to occur during COVID-19 is sort of now going to be taking place in the context of another topic, which is the withdrawal of Afghanistan, right? Yep. Which we can talk about a little bit later after we finish with the Cuomo and COVID stuff. Uh, I was just thinking when talking about like the indoctrination, recently watched the America, the motion picture on Netflix. I don't know if anybody saw that. How is that? Because yeah, you know, I wanted to see that. I, I, I didn't want to commit because it could have been bad. I mean, it's kind of bad, but I watched it from the perspective of that. I really think that some like there's a large portion of America that if you told them it was either a documentary or based on true events, they would not necessarily immediately spot any of the historical errors. It would just kind of flow and feel very, you know, it was kind of a America world police-ish. Uh, People love Hamilton. P People love Hamilton. Yeah, it very much matches the way that you hear, uh, like, the American story told and kind of just jumbled together in a way that's both nonsensical but also just kind of an America fuck yeah attitude the whole time. This is going to sound really, like, stupid because it's an analogy, but it just it really strikes me as poignant sometimes for some reason. I mean, it's, maybe it's not an analogy. It's just, like, a thing. So, like... In America, in if you go to public school here, you know, you're taught that that like the Puritans left Europe to escape religious persecution and <laughs> settled in America. And and then like there's a genocide that happened here, you know, that gets taught, that gets sort of condensed down to like one or two pages in the history textbook, uh, you know, uh, depending on how well your school is funded based on property taxes. And But then, you know, if you do any basic research, you find out that, no, Puritans left Europe because they were mad that they couldn't politically repress other people. Right. And what I find so poignant about that is that, like, if you think of America as a place that's founded by people who consider it oppressive that they're not allowed to oppress other people it makes a lot more sense yep mm -hmm. like like the entire culture makes a lot more sense because people describe like you know a lot of political behavior a lot of like 
politically active people's behavior as hypocritical, but mostly it's just really self-righteous, which I think is just like hypocritical to the next level. Like what is good for the goose is just not so good for the gander, well, you know, in this case, me. Let me ask you something. I mean, being from Rhode Island, I had a unique perspective on that in the history books I was taught because, you know, our entire state was just like a couple of people who came over with the Puritans were like, oh, my God, you guys are fucking crazy and you just want to kill us all. So we're, we're getting out of here. Anyone want to come? Um, were you guys taught that from the beginning or did you kind of have to find out for yourself that the Puritans were fucked up? Cause if you think I, if you think I know anything about Rhode Island, no, I know, I'm not. I, don't, right now, I don't think you do. I don't, it, what I'm saying it's is all from, it's I, all from family guy. All I said was I got that perspective, like from the very beginning of my education system because of where I, where I was situated inside the empire. So I'm wondering if you guys had any inkling or was Puritans, were the Puritans taught exactly like Brandon said to you guys? So I'm curious about that, too, just to jump in real quick, because, like, I wonder about that because, you know, proximity to, like, these kinds of big sites in America where stuff happened has to have an effect on how it's taught, right, in a way that's yeah. just distinct. We know in places like Texas, they, like, obscure, like, stuff about the, like, Mexican War and, like, all that sort of horrible colonialism and, like, atrocities done down there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get anything near what the fuck you got. I got white people came over on a boat. Natives thought they were weird, had Thanksgiving, oh my god, they're building plantations, and people are giving us land. That's what I got. Oh, and then there was, like, we invited some Africans over, some kind of, like, yeah, really invited kind yeah. euphemism for slavery. And this was in the fucking, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So that just must be a unique Rhode Island thing to be taught that the Puritans were fucked up to begin with. I mean, you know, we were taught that they were benevolent white people who just didn't want to be thrown in jail because they didn't agree with the Church of England or some shit like that. Yeah, you, when you as soon as you try and teach the founding of your own tiny, tiny, tiny fucking state, which Rhode Islanders are inordinately proud of, then like it kind of flies in the face of that narrative. In New York City, you learn that Brooklyn means broken land in Dutch because uh, the, <laughs> the geography of <laughs> New York was very, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, uh, hilly, broken, whatever. Interesting. Yeah. They skipped over like a lot of that shit. It was just like, oh my God, they did farming. And then it was like the revolution in Boston, white people threw some tea in the harbor and that was okay because they were being stolen from by the big mean white guy. I learned everything I need to know about American history from the musical Hamilton, uh, <laughs> which I have to admit I remember nothing from, which is, again, perfect, probably for the best. Yep. Uh, but you remember Mine's Cats. Mine's a little blended because I actually recently retook, I've been like retaking American history on the like uh, AP Khan Academy site just because I wanted to see what was what people are being taught, at least somewhere. And uh, that one is definitely a little bit better. Uh, it's definitely a bot more comprehensive from what I remember. Uh, what I remember of mine it was very much, yeah, just, you know, coming over for some religious freedom. And, you know, sometimes they got a little out of hand when, you know, women would have opinions. They kind of want to throw them in the river or oh, like, yeah, burn them at stake. Yeah, the witch trials, we got that. Yeah, oh that, my God. that was like Charmed big, had like, a bunch of episodes yeah. on that too, <laughs> because the witch trials happened in Virginia and also in Salem. Yeah, I know exactly what I'm about to get this nigga for his birthday. Yep. 
But yeah, that's pretty much what I got. And but like now it's uh, they like if you're bothered to read it, and the AP version is a lot better than the standard version. I didn't get through both, but like started going through it, and it like the standard one is a lot more like what I remember being taught and much more vague. And just kind of like yeah, you know, there were some bad things that were happening, but freedom, you know, and you know, freedom. We were all about that freedom, just for a very select group of people. That kind of goes back to what Adair was saying about people's anger and like people not seeing the kind of like barefaced truth some people are just literally blinded by that false consciousness what's the old like saying superman doesn't hear what superman doesn't want to hear like you know other otherwise perfectly normally functioning faculties short circuit when it comes down to it and they just can't interpret it properly and then you know there's another layer of people who ultimately do the calculation and find themselves making personal uh or career calculations that it would be harmful for them or beneficial for them to not say something that they saw and then you have people who i would perfectly reasonably believe that they believe the hype of the democratic party that if they were to implicate them in any kind of scandal it would do more harm than good at the total level because the republican party is just a worse evil i'm not gonna make excuses for anybody who doesn't you know who allows abuse to go on in front of them doesn't say anything it's a complex issue but you know we have to take a stand somewhere but i can understand how in the lot the foisted upon us logic of the political system that we have it, be, it behooves you to look at look at it as though it's your duty to run interference for things that you really shouldn't be running interference for if for no other reason then it comes out anyway and then it harms them and then not only does it take down andrew cuomo it takes down like uh, the head of a bunch of other organizations that were implicated because they felt you know either career-wise or political-wise or whatever that it was what was best to do it ultimately reveals a weakness of the democratic party that i think we've seen before with their lack of a bench that they're just not really looking to the long game. They're very comfortable with putting a few uh, mafia boss type, excuse my stereotype, figures like Nancy Pelosi or Andrew Cuomo or Chuck Schumer or whatever in these positions of power. But beyond that and funneling money to a few consultancies, they don't really have a plan for how to accrue power in any real way. Well, it's I mean, it's intentional, though. I mean, as we've talked about, about the formation of the DLC and like the the oligarchs that the Democrats have painstakingly cultivated since that time period would leave en masse if they actually govern in accordance with the platform or their rhetoric. So like you're, you're at a catch 22, you have power, but you can't use it for the things that you, that you said to get that power. Um, otherwise you will lose your cushy sinker or post politics job or whatever the hell is going to happen to you. You'll lose all that if you do anything with it. Whereas the Republicans are, are all uh, pay, essentially paid the same thing. They all have a different grift, whether it's like Collodial Silver or the, the Koch brothers, um, but they have an ideology and their ideology is is maybe secondary to the money, maybe not, but they absolutely utilize their power to push for it because their donors, their base and everything else is in line. They don't have that fundamental rift. As we've talked about numerous times, that fundamental rift means that they the Democratic Party cannot use power. It just can't. Like you looked at Cory Bush on the steps of the state house, and you know that turned out like great. But like Adam Schiff showed up to do a photo op with Jesse Jackson, and Adam Schiff and Jesse Jackson are are in the same party. Adam Schiff has voted for every single war in my entire lifetime, and Jesse Jackson has stood in direct opposition to them. And yet they're supposed to be politically aligned. 
Those are really big issues that cost not only millions of lives, but also billions and trillions of dollars. And yet they're supposed to share a party line like that makes no sense. Well, and I just wanted to touch on uh, kind of a dare's question a little bit more and tie that in with what John was saying is that uh, when it comes to organizing, I think what a lot of people are wondering or questioning and thinking about and kind of bumping into is like, we're very much indoctrinated and programmed with organizing around electoral politics and around elections and seeing the futility in our electoral politics, seeing and even and then seeing even the most like minimal of advancements celebrated as that they should be hailed and, you know, made like that we should all be so thankful for these things that are completely inadequate and only staving off inevitable much more dire consequences rather than actually getting at addressing any of these things people feel very frustrated and dispirited and it, it, it becomes very frustrating and so i think one of the things like just from a very fundamental practical perspective like regardless of how any political thing turns out i think the basics of organizing and finding whatever you can organize around it doesn't even necessarily have to be like directly political and working on expanding that group so that when there's some sort of triggering events like something like we saw with uh uh the protests last summer right we the could uprisings. that instead of just you know getting you know just being so frustrated and angry that you just have to go outside and find the ne the closest gathering or whatever you know get on it's like instead it's you and your five organizing buddies and you're also calling the the people that you meet uh you know every so few months or whatever that you when you collaborate on organizing on larger projects and it's like and that is what gives people the power to at, at least influence change in the in the uh, most immediate sense of being able to take power into the streets. Well, I mean, just to your point, Richard, because I mean, in America and a lot of what seems to be our issue is that a lot of our organizing is around electoral politics. But it's worth mentioning that, you know, a lot of that is not necessarily organic. And it's because like if organic protests spring up, you know, around Black Lives Matters or around environmental issues, they're either obscured by lack of coverage in the media or if it becomes impossible to obscure them, you know, artificial grassroots organizers pop up and try to funnel that energy into you know uh more legitimate by the definition of the democratic party machine like nonprofits. yeah you know it's not as though like people are not out there trying to organize or not out there trying to like get people moving for a lot of this stuff it's like there is this sort of dual prong thing of like okay yeah but it's the big electoral you know national politics that's going to grab the most people's attentions especially when you're talking about like a big election that's being hyped up for a, a year and a half in advance you got you got snl like skits about it you know whole shebang uh but when you know we do see organic protests they're just inadequately covered until they've been subsumed by whatever nonprofit can subsume them or they're broken up like occupy wall street right they just discovered that the federal agents were like infiltrating and you know monitoring black lives matters protests and like breaking them up and, and the organization happening the organization yeah, itself yeah. and, and uh, in addition to that the the sweeps that have already happened as a direct result of that domestic terrorist um, new the new domestic terrorist designations that we were talking about on the show have already been utilized on black identity extremists more often than almost any other uh, label. So like exactly what we predicted on the show has come to pass. And, and Brandon's right. Like you you get in the streets, you form these organizations, and then you have modern COINTEL Pro doing exactly what it had done in the 1960s, working towards doing the same types of assassinations as well. You know it, it's. 
it, it's I can understand why people are disheartened, and I don't know like what to do about that. The thing that I I find to be most frustrating though is, like you said, Brandon, about the media. Like what happened with Occupy was really quite something to behold. Like I I I wasn't living in New York, but I was part of Occupy Providence, and um, watching the news cover that, not just like the national news and what they were doing with when. You know, the, the cops were sicked on him, but like even the local news here watching what they were saying about it was just absolutely ridiculous when the sentiment was so strong that you had disparate people from all sorts of different places coming to just sleep in goddamn parks just because of how fed up and how corrupt it obviously was like not a single banker went to jail. Not a single person from the Bush administration has been prosecuted for war crimes like all of these protests, all of this angst, all this anger is legitimate. And yet our our organizations, our institutions spend so much time trying to make it seem like they're they're diligent or trying to delegitimate. Them. Well, one of the Occupy organizers was folded into the Obama administration of the Democratic Party. I forget which one. I was seeing someone tweeting about it a few uh, a few weeks yeah. ago, I believe. I can't remember which one. But you either uh, die of a botched drug raid or live long enough to see yourself <laughs> become a nonprofit. <laughs> you know, you go to one of these like spontaneous protests and write your name down on what you think is like a solidarity sheet or some kind of like mailing list or whatever, and then like the next you just get spam from Sean King. <laughs> you know, like his new clothing brand, which is just like hoodies with stills of black people getting the ass whipped on it. <laughs> he knows his audience. He does know the his audience. Fight. Then they get nerve to call his uh, clothing line a real one. No. No. <laughs> no. How, like, how, how you how you have a how you have a black clothing line called a real one and you only tweet that shit out to Canada and Mexico. <laughs> so I think one of the things that we have to really address, right, is that yeah, organizing on the left is hard, right? Organizing in communist circles, organizing in socialist circles, in union circles, right? It's a difficult prospect, just generally speaking. And that's if you're not doing much more than, you know, I don't know, trying to secure teachers a slight fucking raise. You know what I mean? So I think we have to both really, we do have to continue to organize in that way. We do have to try to join orgs and get other people to join orgs and really talk about things. But I think so much of, I think of how effective the U.S. has been in indoctrinating people right so like i talk to my my nieces my nephews i talk to you know all the time like my nieces and nephews primarily all the time and anything that you know their parents might be saying i'm constantly asking like why is why why who said that to you why do you think they did that and having you know age appropriate obviously conversations with my nieces and nephews about imperialism about why people are poor you know like all of these kinds of things because if we don't do that, right, then we're not going to win. Like, I think, you know, we've got a few a f- uh, few friends of the show, right, uh, are on TikTok. You know what I mean? Like, I have no idea how the fuck to work the app. I don't know how to do any of that. I'm too old for TikTok. Yeah, I'm way too old for TikTok. Be with you. First of all, I'm not saying we need to be on there, but I'm pointing out that we have, you know, people that we would consider friends of the show, people that I think uh, at least the majority of us follow, right, on Twitter who, who's – information we actually value and trust because they're saying good and i'm not things. condemning tiktok I'm, I'm glad we have friends on tiktok i just want to make that yeah clear. <laughs> even if i'm I too think, old right like i'm not ever going to be on there but i think it's good that we do have people there because that's going to that's the only route that i really think that we have 
you know, is leveraging some of these online spaces to the best of our ability that are going to reach people that are still at that point where they're not completely drunk on imperialist Kool-Aid yet. Like, it hasn't... Yeah, but, but Dare, as we always talk about, we have a hard deadline with physics, and the boomers are basically buttoned up against that. Like, the die-off of the boomer... You, but what else do you have I don't like, know. the second that you can do? And that's the point that I'm making. I was just saying, like, the the boomers... I, I, I appreciate the outlook. I appreciate the, the outreach to the younger viewers. I really do appreciate TikTok, but we got to do something about the boomers. Like, we have to, because, you know, like I said, the deadline I mean, is set by... your average boomer? I just want to say the obvious solution is that once you get above 55, you should have to pass like one of those Blade Runner Voight Kampf tests to vote. <laughs> because it's just like, you know, I don't. I... It's a matter of information. Yeah, it's a matter of information source. Like we've talked about, like the 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 the. the the indoctrination or the propaganda that you see on television. I don't want to say that it was better, but it was a lot more in your face earlier and now the boomers have taken some like bullshit from cronkite and turned and said like oh no this is jake tapper is exactly the same person and it's like no motherfucker like he's lied to you like six or seven times in the past year alone why the fuck are you you in, in intrinsically trust this person so here's here's the thing though i'm like i am the biggest pessimist i think on the show i will be the first one to tell you I think the world is going to come to a complete end due to climate change. And I think we will see it happen within our lifetime based on the evidence that I'm able to gather online, that I'm able to read, and when talking to other scientists. So I want to clear that up first. I am the biggest pessimist that we have, right? Um, the other thing that I want to bring up is I do think you're right, John. Like, I'm not here disagreeing with you, but I do think we have to talk about any kind of solution as we have it. Because, again, if the climate is going to kill us within our collective lifetime, we have to hurry the fuck up. We have to do something. And I think one of the things that's happening with a lot of kids that are in Gen Z is the same thing that's ha that happened to us that are millennials. Gen Z is like 21 years old now. You know what I mean? Like, Gen Z aren't just a bunch of 14-year-olds dicking around on, you know, YouTube for the first time. A lot of these people are now adults who've gone to college, you know, who are in the workforce, who are existing and trying to survive under capitalism and still haven't been super heavily radicalized because I think the big difference, particularly between Gen X and millennials, and you really see this divide quite clearly, is that TV is not a big part of our lives in the way that it used to be. So for those of us that are old enough to remember being kids in the 90s, right, before the internet was a thing, and even when the internet first came out, it was so clunky and hard to use that there was not a whole lot of use for it. You relied on the news. If you could watch CNN or MSNBC or any of that kind of stuff, you were like, yes, this is fucking great. Your local news channel was important because otherwise you didn't really know what was going on. And of course, you know, well, and then, like, even Saturday morning cartoons and the patriotic propaganda slipped in between there oh, and so on and so sure. forth. G.I. Joe. Sure. Yeah. Well, we didn't really have G.I. Joe. No, no. For me, it was G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Like, we had, like, I mean, even thinking about, like, a lot of our stuff was just dumb, kind of creepy shit for the most part, which I think was a good shift. But also, the point that I'm making there is 
that with less TV, I think you have more millennials that are more easily radicalized because yes. for as as much TV as we did get, as much indoctrination as we got in there, we didn't get it like Gen X. That's all Gen X had. So they were constantly in a wash of propaganda when they woke up and they turned on yep. the TV. They were washing propaganda. When they went to school, they were washing propaganda. And the same thing happened when they got home, be they a latchkey kid or, you know, whatever that they were consistently being fed the exact same lines no matter where they turned. But you don't see that with millennials. You don't see that with Gen Z. You don't see that with whoever the fuck is coming up next. We'll just call them the Water Wars generation because they're all going to be fighting it for the majority of their lives, I would assume. Because they're all going to look like Kevin Costner. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been saying since like 2016 was that you look at the divide in the voting age, it's always been 55 and up is going to go for, you know, traditional Democrat and 55 and below is going to go down. And the only thing that explains it, because it's not just class, the only thing that explains it is that the dynamic that Adair just described, the TV, the media consumption and where people get their information from. So how my point is, is that like we have a hard deadline that is going to fall while boomers and gen x or while boomers in particular still have an outsized influence on our political sphere just look at what happened with nina turner so how do you then go and fucking talk to these goddamn boomers but that's not who we need to be talking to enough people aren't voting at like and I, i'm not an advocate for voting right like, don't let me just make this one point that I'll, I'll do a quick random i'm not advocating for voting right i'm not saying voting is going to change the fucking system what i am saying is that I don't think it's, if you believe in voting, if you believe voting is going to work, if you believe active revolution is what's going to work, whatever you believe is going to work, including boomers, doesn't help you. I think there's too much of a focus on old people for the fact of the matter is they're going to be dead when the worst of this hits. They might survive the first couple of years at the outset, but I mean, let's be real. My fucking grandparents are goddamn boomers and they're, you know, not going to be here, you know, for another decade. Let's be honest about that. Neither is most of Congress. So stop wasting our time on old people. Radicalizes them to young ones. You know, one of the issues with generational politics and one of the issues with the boomer and Gen X generation is that a big part of their calculation, and this is going to speak to John's point, is that like a lot of the problems that they were being, you know, first informed of in their minds, like climate, were going to be solved by like their children or by the next generation, you know. And I think where it's becoming now quite sketchy is like, you know, Adair said, the Gen Z was supposed to be that generation that was going to solve climate change. You know, Gen Z is was supposed to be the, the generation that was going to come into power, if not, you know, our generation or if, either ours or Gen Z, rather, were supposed to come into power. And they were going to be, you know, the solution to whatever problems that were arising. But what we're seeing and I think what is giving Gen Z and, you know, the Water Wars generation uh, a lot of anxiety is that like what John is saying, boomers are not going to relinquish the reins of power, even though it's now, quote unquote, time for Gen Z to like be solving climate right. change, right? You know, it's now time for millennials and like geriatric millennials and like the younger generation to be doing the work that is supposed to make the, you know, the past the buck generation, no politics of Gen X or like whatever makes sense. But, you know, that was always just a scam being told to like the larger population by our specific 1% boomer overlords like Nancy Pelosi to get them to not worry too much about the future. And I could 
only imagine, I mean, I can definitely imagine what it, it's like to be a younger person now and being constantly told the same narrative that, oh, no, don't worry about it. Like the, the generation, next generation is going to solve the climate change issue. It's going to solve the, you know, like the issues with the world only to now be that generation and be an adult and still be being talked about as though like, you know, oh, millennials, like all they do is send memes. It's like millennials are like 38 years 40. old now. Yeah. Like millennials are old as shit. It's like that's you know, people 40. still pretend millennials are like however old in media because it still feeds into that narrative that oh there's gonna be time later for millennials and Gen Z to solve all these like rapidly impending crises. A lot of what obscures the fact that we are on a precipice is this enforced lack of urgency that is inherent to like not only just like capitalism but the specific like sect of centrism that infects our media and our like you know ruling classes sycophant class of like tech workers and like whatever that like oh no there's going to be time in 30 years to solve this problem there's going to be time in 40 years or 50 years only to be you know suddenly faced with the fact that we've been talking about for a while now that someone's eventually just going to tell you oh no time's up yeah because like that was 20 years ago but i just wanted to touch briefly on adair's other point about what we can do and i think that you kind of like hinted at what we should be doing too and that's supporting teachers right now because one of the big things that's going on is this increasing schism between like teachers and parents and all sorts of other sort of stakeholders who view schools as this battleground for our future and the teachers right now, along with you know, certain epidemiologists, are the only ones who are actively looking out for like the children in public mm. health and, and along with their own safety. While like you have all these various other stakeholders who have like completely abstracted schools as this like battleground for like, you know, them to like fight critical race theory or fight like woke, you know, curriculum or some shit. Yep. Yeah, I just want to rant on schools a little bit, but like, uh, just like one should not be starting schools. It sounds like they may be able to get approval for the vaccine for like the most grade school kids by maybe Christmas time. So it's like you could just start school after Christmas break, potentially with vaccinated children, whatever. Like it, that, it, it, there's a possibility of salvaging this year if you uh, like wait for vaccinations. But I mean, the, the, we have other issues to deal with. But like they absolutely should not be starting now, period, at all. They already like, be, they've already begun. They've already begun. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, we've talked before just like that they didn't have adequate ventilation or even freaking safe drinking water no so there's like so many layers of not safe at the schools so i, I just really want to point out because i think this is a big misconception i don't think it was said intentionally but i think it's something that a lot of us believe that's just absolutely fucking wrong um rich you said that there's a chance to possibly the, the school year could be salvaged if we started later no there's 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 no chance and let me explain. <laughs> I mean, go ahead. Had they just wait, before, had, wait, wait, real quick, before you explain yeah. why, let me tell let me explain why. I saw a video of all the new freshmen at uh, UNC Chapel <laughs> Hill <laughs> drinking from the same ass water fountain. That's why. Yep. That's, yeah. I mean, Cafeteria. That's a part of it. Yep. Yeah. But that, yeah. that, in all seriousness, that is that is one hundred percent a part of it. But the other part of it is this, right? Had so regular illnesses disrupt education enough. If a really bad outbreak of the flu happens at a school and kids keep getting it, let's, you know, let's say it's a really, really bad one and you've got, you know, five kids, five, ten kids missing, you know, throughout the day, throughout, you know, your totalist experience. That's a little worrying if I'm getting over five kids, right? Like if I have one kid missing in class, I'm a little bit nervous, you know, and 
this isn't just like a one or two day illness. This is a significant time that they're going to have to be out of school. They're not going to be getting on Google Classrooms while they're at home with COVID. They're not going to be able to learn. So that creates a massive disruption where they end up missing, you know, like two weeks of school at a time at least. And then they're supposed to come back after God knows how many of these kids were one able and two did had like the, the the structure to support them in doing so showing up to class every single day and actually getting the most out of them actually being you know up to par where they're at right so if you're going to a really really nice school a private school or a school in a rich neighborhood yeah you could probably salvage the school year if you just send kids home now and have them come back in late january or early february if you're at the majority of schools if you're at these poor schools especially you know Broke-ass schools in the hood, especially in big cities, think Seattle, New York, L.A., Miami, Boston, right? Any of these areas where you've got a significant number, a, a significant amount of population and these poor areas, they're not going to catch up. It's hard enough to go into the classroom and try to get, you know, kids, everybody to where they need to be. Because you're not getting a class full of kids at grade level or above. You're getting, you know depending on the school district you're in, in the classroom, like I said, so when I was teaching, I had a class that was supposed to be taking physics where I had two or three kids that could solve a simple linear equation. Everybody else was, everybody else couldn't even do algebra and algebra was considered grade level. And so you see that, and I had, you know, 25 kids. So I've got 24 of them who are below grade level at varying degrees. Some of them, I'm just like, I'm really going to have to go back and work really hard with you on really foundational concepts. You, you know what's wild, though? Just not to interrupt you, Adair, but like, what's wild is that, like, I work with white people and I go to, like, private. I went to private school and, like, I'm not like you in that I'm good at math. <laughs> but like I can do math, like just like math, like basic mathematics. Yeah. And like you'd be surprised by how bad everyone is at math. Yep. And I mean, you would I not you wouldn't be surprised there because you think everyone's <laughs> bad at math from your vantage point. I don't. But like you'd be surprised by how bad people are at like, say, calculating the tax on right. uh like on receipt. Yeah. And it's just like twenty percent of a bill, and it's like the bill's like eighty eight dollars. And you're like, are you right. serious? Dude, I worked with engineers. Right. I worked in engineering field, and like the <laughs> fucking engineers were telling me that they couldn't do math. I was like, what the fuck? So that's that's a little different, John. That's a little different. Not to uh, what you call it, um, absolve any uh, discrepancies in funding between like uh, rich districts and poor districts, and because like, we know like the socioeconomic consequences of that is are real. That's just more of a like a larger condemnation of the way we teach broadly as a society. Like people just it just it's in one ear and out the other. Like it makes you wonder yeah. what the point what the oh, yeah. point is if it doesn't stick with anybody. Indoctrination. The point is one hundred percent indoctrination, but the point is also one hundred percent just maintaining class status. Like that's the thing that is really difficult for people to wrap their heads around. But I'm just like you know, COVID is really as COVID has done a number, but there's there's no salvaging the school year at this point. And even if you're telling me that, oh, we're going to make sure all the teachers are vaccinated, and we're going to start vaccinating students by the time kids get you know even have the vaccine the majority of the school if not the whole school is gonna have caught covid yeah it seems when the schools open that the the, it spreads immensely rapidly i don't think people understand because they haven't been in school since they were like 17 but if flu season hits a school the whole school catches the flu 
that's the other part I don't really understand, I guess, because like, you know, I understand propaganda and, you know, I listen to a lot of people who believe a lot of crazy things. But the part that I don't get is that you have, you know, you have people with kids, right? You have parents with kids who go to a school district and then you have like governors of states who are like operating in this like political grandiosity of like banning mask mandates and like making it illegal to like stand any further than like two feet from each other, uh, you know, and like mandating that you like sneeze on each other whenever you have to like sneeze, like shit like that. Have to use handrails like, with your tongue and shit. Go ahead. Yeah, and again, it's all just to like you know signal signal to like the worst aspects of our society that they're not going to be controlled by like some sort of mysterious cabal of like liberals and like you know minorities and lesbians, and that's all well and good. <laughs> you know, it's all well and good when like that shit is just like limited to like one or two people shooting themselves in the nuts or like the mass death by despair epidemic that can kind of be like allocated to people's individual moral failures or right even you know I, or choice right like obviously wrong and you know obviously people right now are choosing to not wear masks but they're largely doing it because they're being told by people that it's fine or whatever to not get vaccinated you know kids will be fine like everything's going to be fine you know more or less it's just like the flu no one's going to die like whatever um again who am I? I'm not a, I'm not a dictator for the sake of this. I, I mean, let's say it's fine. But my question is, like, what does it look like in these people's heads? Like the people who are promoting like masklessness, like for children, like opening schools up. What does it look like for them? Like once the kids start actually getting sick in very large numbers, they don't believe it. But and I say that like, oh, you know, we have no we have no realm or we have no frame of reference for this. But like we know that like, you know, school shootings happen and it like devastates like the school in the neighborhood of the people who got fucking shot at. But then at the same time, we know that people who actually experienced it have gotten indoctrinated enough by QAnon that they're like that shit didn't happen to me yeah i, yeah. I mean jenny mccarthy's been running around for years screaming about how vaccines cause autism you know like this is just not it doesn't matter like if and this is the thing is that it, it also doesn't really matter whether the school year is successful because that's not why we're opening up schools again i mean we're not opening up no schools. exactly and i was just going to say on the failure part it's like our schools were the especially the impoverished schools are barely getting people to the grade level or getting Able to, like, yeah, long all. before COVID. So, like, if, if that's the bar, we're then, not getting yeah, into we're not gonna, But that's, no, not, be, we're like, not, that's yeah, not the point. I, I just, Wait, but, let, me fit, let me finish my point. Ahead, my sorry, point was that, that, that that's not the point of opening back up the schools. The point of opening up schools is the subsidized daycare, it's to get yeah. the workers back to their locales, like wherever that is, like offices and everything. You've seen so many places, like, see the Delta variant ripping through communities uh, of vaccinated and unvaccinated, or unvaccinated and vaccinated and no one really cares nothing's being done the unemployment expires in less than a month and we're already back at peak levels of daily infections and deaths like well i think in certain places we're actually above what it was in the middle of winter last yeah. year well, I was just going to say, you know, now that Obama's having massless birthday parties that, you know, John is going to uh, and, and exposing himself to COVID, I don't think the show has any moral high ground. No, so it's like what like you said. It's like they, they know that when the kids start dying in mass, when you have large numbers, it's either going to be the same thing that the Alex Jones types do to Sandy Hook, which is they're going to deny it, or it's going to be, well, it doesn't affect me personally. I don't give a fuck. 
But see, the thing is, this is, of course, me with wildly speculating and just, you know, doing some armchair psychology, like we which I do. wouldn't suggest, which I wouldn't suggest for you're our viewers at home. I'm only a professional armchair psychologist. Yeah, I was going to say you're the only person here qualified to even think like that. So. But no, I mean, it's just me musing, right? I think I'm allowed to muse sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a very voluptuous person, you know, a la Hercules, the anime <laughs> series and movie. Uh, but... That's what I think makes me curious because, like, Jenny McCarthy, you know, anti-vaxxer predates the whole, like, uh, this new, uh, like, anti-COVID vac- vaccine thing. A lot of people who have joined this bandwagon of anti-vaxxer are just riding this, like, larger wave of, you know, being swept up in Trump and, like, the new right Trump-adjacent media and all of the excitement behind that. And that's sort of the, the same population of people, if not as gullible, you know, arguably, who ended up going to, like, the January 6th rally and getting themselves caught up in, you know, this, like, honeypot slash inside job slash, you know, who knows, right? Uh, these aren't people who actually don't believe vaccines work they just have been convinced to play that game for the friends you make along the way pretending that vaccines don't work you know their level of belief i think ranges and so functionally you know i think a lot of people in america talk a big game about dying for their freedom because they're indoctrinated to say that but the moment their lungs start to fill with that mucus you know they're ready to take the the vaccine but it's too late then i think that's what makes this anti-vaxxer uh, crowd, this new anti-vaxxer crowd that we're seeing that is like just doing it for the clicks versus like, you know, doing it because they're literally insane and think that viruses aren't real a little bit like more insidious because A, they don't believe it and therefore they know how to like play with the language in a way that will attract more people who are more skeptical and like who are maybe not as fully invested in the narrative so much as like the adjacent narratives and the sociality of the movement and they're going to get swept up in that and it has actual material consequences and in this case it's going to have material consequences for people's like kids versus them specifically getting arrested for doing a, a you know insurrection so i know people say they don't believe in the vaccine i know people say they don't believe in COVID 19 but people are in america are taught to say a lot of stupid shit until it like actually hits them in the nose and then suddenly they didn't they didn't know they were nazis or some shit so like I think not necessarily the depressing part because I try to be I try to feel sad for people because I think it's patronizing but you know for me that's the part that like kind of has me holding my breath because I know eventually if anything happens to these kids we're going to get articles by people who are like I had no idea this was real until my kid got sick yeah. and it's just like I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, em- Emily Oster. Like that might be that might be optimistic. Well, I mean, we haven't touched on it, and hopefully we still do uh, with Afghanistan. I mean, that's part of the thing that's going on now. Nobody could have seen this coming. Nobody saw that the you know didn't know that nation building, which is a euphemism for what we were doing there, it was going to work. And like, but yeah, there were people saying these things the whole time. Yeah. Like you were you were shouting them down and shutting them down. Like no, this is, it was like a whole movement of people saying these things. Right. Like Corey, Corey what was his name? Corey Robert. Robbins, like linking that 90% of all people at the time of the Afghanistan war supported it. And it's like, dude, who the fuck did, were you pulling? Where'd you pull that from? Like, did you even look at cross tabs? Because I know for a fact that 90% of people weren't supporting it. Now, granted, overwhelmingly dumbass Americans, like we were talking about, did, but there was a real large contingent that was out in the streets saying, no, just fucking no. 
I don't know what post you're talking about specifically, but the problem with that statistic is that like, okay, then that should lead you to the question of like why 90% of Americans believe something that was so obviously fucking not true that now, you know, not even now, but I would say less than half a decade later, it came out that not only was it not true, but that there were people like actually actively lying about it and still people recognize that it was not true and were trying to raise alarms about it, but those people were silenced, yeah. right? So even if 90% of people actually believed it and 10% of people did not believe it, that's just a condemnation of our information uh, delivery system and the many, many problems we have with it. And that bears investigation. But of course, that's used as a way to sort of absolve our terrible reporters of their fucking culpability by going like, well, if enough dumb people believe something, is it fair to say that we should have known better? And it's like, yeah, obviously it's fair to say that. Like what kind of like that, that's such a meaningless thing to say like oh my god like you're like a reporter or like a doctor or like a fucking scholar and people love to say stupid shit like that like oh no like it's okay to be wrong because other people were wrong it's like okay well isn't it your job to not be that person though like isn't <laughs> and that when you habitually do this shouldn't we consider replacing you with somebody who you know doesn't rely on using that as an again excuse? you're assuming that the 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 prop the you're assuming that the point is to be correct. Well, that's yeah. the other part about that that argument too, because like when people say that like you know people were wrong about you know nine eleven or wrong about war in Afghanistan or whatever bullshit revisionist history, what they're implying by that is that like the media has gotten better about that shit since then. When it's like no, they've gotten worse. To say that they were bad back then, I mean, to say that they made a mistake back then and that no one was punished and that like not punishing people led to some kind of like real positive change. It's like, well, no, of course not. You know, who knows what their punishment is the right thing in this case, you know, whether you should fire people for getting things wrong or whatever. But certainly you can't argue that we've gone in a positive direction as a result of not doing anything within the logic of the democratic party biden is supposed to be listening to the science there's no scientific justification to be starting schools now within like you could make an argument within their thinking that you should do it at january february but it's like there we're not what are democrats and the left uh, or like the democrats generally going to do about school starting despite all this evidence that they shouldn't be or like we just had Inslee, governor washington just now start mandating masks when it was very clear weeks ago they should have reinstated a mask mandate at minimum and like there should be capacity limits and we should be doing things to limit the spread of the delta variant and we're just not doing these things and it's like it, it none everybody just turns to look at to find a, a scapegoat and it, unvaccinated people are being incredibly irresponsible and endangering the people around them by staying unvaccinated and it's particularly i mean people that are doing it voluntarily not for medical reasons and so forth but like uh this like what what are we what people the, 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 the indoctrination and the capability to turn a blind eye while is definitely different in general when it comes to democrats is like it, it, they're capable of doing the same thing so it makes it very hard to reach this accountability or progress and so on and so forth is what, i guess where i was going I, I want you guys to do me a favor i want you guys to do me a favor i know i'm not your only scientist friend right um and for those of you who are listening to the show, I know I'm also not your only scientist friend. Yes, we're friends. Your only now. black scientist friend. I am definitely most people's only black scientist friend. Does Neil deGrasse Tyson count? <laughs> you don't want to be friends with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Think... We can't. We can't start the episode with you know <laughs> a pervert and end with one. I think. <laughs> oh, good time. So good point. Good point. I would like y'all to go and talk to your other scientist friends and be like, when climate change, the full effects of climate change, inevitably hit in our lifetime. What are you How do? quickly should I devolve into cannibalism? Well, no, I don't even because think, like... I was, I was thinking like 
tomorrow. <laughs> but if you tell me that too soon again, I'll Tomo- get a second opinion. Tomorrow is definitely too soon, but like genuinely, like, and this is because of all these things that we're talking about, like people, are, I really want people to understand too that this is happening with climate change as the backdrop. You know, talking to other scientists, friends, just like, you know, we'll be on Zoom or whatever and having a drink or something and we'll chop it up. Or even when I was an undergrad, we would, you know, we were really terrified about this because it came up in every class. The conversation would be like, well, so what's your plan? And the vast majority of people are like, I'm just going to die. Like the vast majority of at least amongst the scientists that I know, when we've talked about what our plans are for when climate change really hits is to die in some way, shape or form, because that's how rapidly it's approaching and how drastic it's going to change the world in which we live and so this is happening and covid is happening at the same time and you watch the ineffectual response to covid and it leaves me absolutely zero hope for any change on climate at this i mean it's point. harder it's like we have a hard time reacting to covid and the like the response times are we're talking weeks it's like climate we're talking about over years and like between cause and effect and like oh you know we'll have to dramatically reduce carbon emissions for decades before we see any actual positive results occurring atmospherically and so forth the reality is we like, have to stop altogether yeah <laughs> and i think like right like climate report just recently came out and as john pointed out when we were talking before joe biden's response was you know pressuring the oil cartel to produce yes. more yeah ipcc comes out says we have we're we're locked in to 1.5 at this point but if we do dramatic change of our entire economic system now we can stay at 1.5 and joe biden said drill baby drill well i mean ultimately i think the same thing holding back you know well, not same thing holding back us because you know we're not responsible for <laughs> uh setting that you know, setting that standard but you know i think that back to Adair's point about the pandemic and vaccinated versus unvaccinated uh people you know i think that ultimately the secondary sort of albatross of the democratic party that doesn't necessarily exist with the republican party who just like take on full denialism is like you know this faith-based scientism that infects democratic party where they say things like they believe in science but then, like, when you really sort of pin them down, they just, you know, more or less do what they want to do anyway. Yeah. They, in their minds, have consulted with the idea of science, you know, through some sort of vague channels. They've they've consulted with somebody that they think is smart that they've seen on YouTube, but they get mad if you have an actual background in education in any field of science and try to talk to them about it. My bad. No, I was going to say, because like science in our, in our society has taken on a very, you know, STEM based definition. When people think of science, they think of like science in technology, in like, you know, digital technology, like apps and stuff like that. And so that and like PhDs, they expect you to either be like a coder or have your PhD. Otherwise, you don't know dick about science. Apparently. They think it's always success. That's why that, that's part of why we have such a bad time with the pandemic. Nobody understands science is 99 percent of the time just failing. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that our ability to understand science was, like, captured by the digital age in a way that made science very, you know, it's like when iPads first started coming out and people were like, iPads are going to revolutionize how children learn. And, like, children learn to be really good at using iPads. (laughs) (laughs) And then then we find out screen time causes a lot of problems socially and also with development. So it's like, oh, yeah. And with your eyes, with that blue light shit. But, you know, at the end of the day, the technology of the vaccine 
was going to capture the imaginations of the Democratic Party and like a large section of like the res- people who were quote unquote being responsible during the first wave of the pandemic. And it was a mistake to emphasize the way it was emphasized. People were basically saying, you know, once you get that vaccine, those two jabs or the one jab J&J vaccine, you can be partying that weekend. And like, I, you know, if you were actually listening, what you heard was like, you know, get the two shots and you can be partying, you know, asterisk. And it was just like, as long as everyone at the party is all vaccinated and hasn't come in contact, all the caveats were buried under this very individualistic, very, you know, simple tech solution to the pandemic. The idea that once you got vaccinated, you were going to have to wait two weeks to do everything because of the fucking antibodies were going to take that long to kick in. People could understand that. That's like, okay, it sucks, but I, I can sort of get that i think that once you got to like the point where the cdc cdc said okay mask mandates are gone that was a mistake mm-hmm. they should yes. never said that that was oh, yeah. obviously a mistake because political, that was all a certain subset that the population was waiting for to just like go you know, rip off the yeah rip off the veil of i believe science and go like you see the experts don't know what the fuck they're talking about oh yeah you know but it's out there so that when people start getting sick and things don't get better they can point to it and go like but like if you really read the fine print Uh, You would have seen that like you were taking your own risk into your own hands. Right. Because like, that's what it is. Like it's it's people in America, you know, saying that like they understand the statistical probability of like getting the virus and having it kill them. And, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's only kills 1% of people. And I'm like, this is the flawed logic of a science illiterate country that understands that science is important for making arguments Mm -hmm. because like they know they have to have it but they just don't know what it is Mm -hmm. and so they're like it's more dangerous to drive a car than it is to get covid it's like what are you talking about yeah that's not even the same thing well these people don't understand what sample size is right they hear one percent and they're like in their mind well one percent is a very small percentage but if you take one percent Right. If you take 1% of a very large number, you've got a big-ass fucking number. You've got a very, you know, you've got a realistically high chance of catching it, especially with how things are going. But people don't understand. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a whole math degree. I took one class in statistics, and that was because I fucking had to so that I could become a teacher. I took one. One class. Most people don't even take, like, college algebra. And that's of the, you know, small percentage of people that get to go to college at all. The vast majority of you don't even, and I'm including college educated in this, don't know dick about statistics or math or science, and that's okay. The problem ends up becoming is people don't know they don't know shit. They don't know that they don't understand. They don't know that they don't understand the process, that science, especially when it's something like this, we're going to make mistakes. Like, we're not fucking robots or genies. We're people that spend, you know years of our lives getting proficient and you know and some people incredibly proficient in one very specific subject and one very specific piece of a very specific subject right and then nobody appreciates fucking best nobody appreciates that library class that you took about either in school or in college where they like you teach you about research and understand mm-hmm. like that's just everybody just get frustrated and just like, like blow that off you know i'm gonna I'm skip it half of the break or whatever you know nobody wants I, to, like, that's like the most important thing you're gonna learn <laughs> but like it's fresh it is it's frustrating especially with things like climate change and especially with things like the pandemic or being a scientist and like again i'm not a virologist right i'm not an epidemiologist i 
am just really good at math, right? And I am also really good at physics, which plays a bit in here. And you just sit there and you're like, I would spend five hours on a homework problem, you know? I don't think we're going to have time to fully dive into Afghanistan. We're going to have to meet again, guys. I'm sorry. I know, you know, breaking out of the bi-yearly tradition of recording is going to be hard, but I think we can pull it together if we give it our best. So how about we call it here early? Everyone just give a, you know, brief goodbye and we'll try to end it on a nice positive note. Oh, I'm not going to say anything. Okay, so one of the most positive notes, we're going to silence one of our black correspondences. Perhaps our <laughs> Richard. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, keep on keeping on.